How do you successfully create a new B2B market category? This is the question that many founders ask themselves, but it's a very niche topic and there's just not a lot of content out there from people who've truly taken a shot at creating a new market category. So that's why we've created this show. So at G2, we have over 2,100 different software categories now. As I mentioned, when we started 10 years ago, we only had one, which was CRM software. What we're doing at Timescale is we're redefining the database category. Montecarlo is pioneering a category called data observability. The subcategory interview intelligence is new. We are the leader. There's a lot of category creators that are no longer with us. Uh, they're in the, the great category graveyard somewhere. In each episode, we'll learn the backstory behind the B2B founders' category creation efforts. We'll learn what worked, what didn't, and tactical insights for how you can build a winning category strategy. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now, let's jump in to today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Sangram Vadre, current CEO and co-founder of Go-To-Market Partners and co-founder of Terminus, the pioneer of the ABM category that we're going to be talking about in depth today. Sangram, I've been a huge fan of yours since I read your book in 2019 about account-based marketing. So super excited to chat with you here. Thanks so much for joining. Brad, excited for this. Let's jump in. Nice. Let's do it. So to kick things off, could you just start with a little bit more about who you are, your background, and some of the work you've done for those who don't know who you are? Sure thing. I think maybe the most relevant in the marketing space is I ran marketing of, uh, at Pardot and then got acquired by Exact Target and, sale, and then by Salesforce. So I got to spend time at Salesforce going from a 100 people company to a 10,000 people company. And that was a mega mindset shift for me. I learned a lot in that process. And then after that, I hit a problem. Uh, the problem was that everybody at, uh, even at Salesforce was asking me for more leads. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't understand, like, why do we need to create more lead when we hit every single record there was possible for the monthly lead number uh, in the history of the company? Why do we need more leads? Why are we not focusing on popular velocity? Why are we not doing additional things? Why, why do we need 10x pipe? Why do we, why? And that led to this idea that, well, there's got to be a better way. Mm-hmm. So I ended up writing a blog about it. And I just said, well, what if the funnel is flipped? What if it's sort of going broad at the top, narrow at the bottom, which was less than 1% of the leads turning to customers? What if it was we focus on the right accounts and drive outcome out of it? And that mm-hmm. blog went viral in 2014, which means five people read it. That was the <laughs> extent of virality at that time. So that led into the building of Terminus. So co-founder Terminus. Uh, we got, what, like 300 plus people. We have a ton of VC funding. So the company's continuing to grow. And last year, when I published my third book on go-to-market, which was all called Move, it really became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And that led me to launch Go-to-Market Partners, which is really helping other companies go to market more efficiently. Nice. I love that. Now, a few questions then on the Terminus journey. So take me back to the decision to really embrace the term account-based marketing. Because as I understand it from a previous interview, you said you didn't create it. I think you had found someone that used it in like the 90s or something like that. Yeah. So take us back to you know, that whole journey of finding the term and then deciding that you're going to embrace the term and really evangelize it more than anyone else. Yeah, that's a great question. The ITSMA put it out there, I think in 1995 or something. Uh, but it never really got attention at that time. It was probably too early ahead of its time. 
And really, there wasn't any technology to support any of that things. It, it made sense. Like, yeah, you should be strategic about your accounts. So it is called account-based. Mm-hmm. The reason we, we started looking in 2015 was because we initially, Terminus, had an account-based advertising product. So we could advertise at the account level. And we were like, all right, well, it's account-based advertising. But account-based advertising still felt like a, a very narrow way of thinking about the real outcome. We are really changing the way people think about how they should go to market. We are really helping marketing think about accounts, not leads, which never happened before that. We are really trying to bring sales and marketing together using a singular framework and a process and a new set of metrics around it. And so account-based advertising felt like we'll be pigeonholed in it. Mm-hmm. And I remember Brad at that time also having a conversation with G2 was very new at that time. And they had, for those who don't know, they do a really good job of having all the B2B and B2C technologies also hosted them there. They were like, hey, you know, that's good. Advertising, we'll put you in the advertising bucket with all these B2C companies. And we're like, no, like that's not the vision. And they're like, well, when you do other things, we will call you that. But right now you're an advertising product. So that really forced us to make a decision like, all right, if we don't help position ourselves in the marketplace, somebody else will position us. Best thing to do is what is our position from the get-go? And that's led to the decision that, all right, we're going to call it where we don't know what the answer to this is, but we know it is much bigger than advertising. And account-based marketing became a term that we are like, well, that really starts encompassing everything around marketing, not just not just advertising. So we didn't have the answer at the end result, but we knew that it's going to be much bigger than advertising. Well, hey, it worked. We had Godard from G2 on a couple of weeks ago, and he mentioned your name as a category creator and and talked through that a little bit. So yeah. that part's clearly worked. Yeah, Godard is, is a good, good, good dear friend. And it's just so interesting that now when we launch GTM Partners, we actually have a premier partnership with them, and we're using all of their data to show where the new emerging categories are, which is really where my heart is now. Like I've got to build category before is now how do I help other companies build those categories in a much more thoughtful way, because you know, Brad, like everybody wants, every entrepreneur wants to build a category until yep. they figure out what all it takes to build it. <laughs> yep. It's all over LinkedIn these days, right? It seems like it's the cool thing to do to create a new category. That's all anyone wants to talk about. Yeah. And it is unfortunate because you know, like really between you and I and, and anybody listening to this, we, if we, we say, well, name the categories in B2B, especially, we all would say, well, Salesforce created it. You will say Gainsight did it. Yeah. And you think about Salesforce with, with Dreamforce and obviously the CRM. You think about Gainsight, they did that with Pulse Conference. Uh, you think about HubSpot, they did that inbound conference. And you think about what Terminus did with the Flip My Funnel Conference. You start seeing that you can literally measure the major category creators on your fingers. So it is not something that everybody should do. Like at any lot of CEOs would reach out, hey, I want to build it. I want to do what you did. And my first response to them is, don't do it. Like, if you can't, <laughs> just don't do it. It's, it, it, it is going to take everything out of you if you really want. But if you want to do it, it's a 10-year ride. It's not a marketing campaign. That has to be why so many founders want to do it, right? I feel like if you tell a founder, don't do this, all you're going to do is you know, enrage them to want to do it. Awesome. So maybe that's why. <laughs> that's a great point. Now, something that Godard mentioned when I was talking with him about this, of you know, advice that he'd have for founders who want to create a category, he referenced something you did, which was very clever, which was you really embraced the competition and work with your competitors to really drive that narrative forward. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Because I think it's something that founders really struggle with, where 
you know, you know, competition exists, but it's kind of scary, right? You don't really want to like think about it too much. And the idea of partnering with them and working with them together is something that I think is very, very scary to a lot of founders. So you just talk through how you approach that and how you make yourself feel okay with, you know, advertising your competitors to an extent. Uh, totally. I, I think what the very important thing for everybody to know is that there is no such thing as category of what. Mm-hmm. So when somebody wants to build a category, the very first pill they have to swallow is the recognition that you got to find other people who want to do the same. So even with G2, we had to bring all these competitors. So I had to talk to everybody and saying, well, you do advertising. Actually, what you do, I have to sell them on a vision for themselves. What you really do is not advertising. It's actually way beyond that. There was a company called Vendemore, and I talked to the CEO in France and had them come to the event, the Flip My Funnel event, and have it create a category on G2. So I, I literally have to create a coalition of companies mm-hmm. that believed or did pieces of it and to elevate their messaging to say account-based marketing because when seven or eight of us go to G2 and say, well, that's what we have, then they would be compelled to look at it and they were early enough that they did. But the other part was we were broke. <laughs> I mean, we didn't have <laughs> a lot of money to to build it. We didn't have $10 million when we started off. So how else do you go out and do an event and a conference and bring media and everybody else to pay attention to you in a crowded market? And mm-hmm. so the best way we thought we could do is that we literally make it about the category. So Flip My Funnel was a domain we bought for eight bucks after that viral five people liking that post. And that led us to create a flipmyfunnel.com domain. And we reached out to all of these competitors because we thought if they all can drive people to this event, this will create a category. If people are attending these events, then this will drive analysts and media players to come and take a note of it. And since we didn't have any customers, we were not going to do a customer conference, obviously. (laughs) This became the industry conference. And if we built an industry conference for a couple of years, then we would actually own the narrative in the market. Mm-hmm. And if we did that, and if we did that in the right way, and we are a booth just like everybody else, then it's a fair market competition. And because we own the list and own the market share, own the narrative, we knew who was coming to the events. So our team was always ready to have a conversation. And we also believe that the people out in the marketplace are not dumb. They know who's behind the movement. They know what's going on. So I think all of that allowed us to do it the right way and all competitors, I remember, Brett, even after the first event, all the competitors literally signed a check and said, hey, when is the next event? That led us to a roadshow. So it was funded. I spent zero dollars on yeah. that had over, you know, 3,000, 4,000 people attend those events. Wow. And one word you mentioned there that I want to latch on to, movement. So I feel like that's the next big wave that's coming on LinkedIn of people talking about creating a movement, the importance of creating a movement. How do you do it? How do you create a movement? And why should you create a movement instead of just marketing the product as I think a lot of founders would rather have it? I think that's a fundamentally incorrect way of looking at things, I feel, when I, when I see that on LinkedIn, as you mentioned, because I don't think anybody can create a movement. I think what you can do is be the most passionate person out there talking about the problem that you're trying to solve. And if that problem is big enough and right enough and relevant enough and hard enough and painful enough, then enough people will follow up and say, you know what? I want to be part of the solution. I know you don't have an answer to the problem, but mm-hmm. if you are going to seek solution for this problem, I'm going to join you in that. And I think that's how movements are created. You, you think about the greatest movements of all of our lifetimes, um, mm-hmm. 
Martin Luther King. And, and the, you know, that's a very different movement and very important movement. But he had that one speech, but that wasn't the only thing he did that created, that started, that lit the fire. But there were so many other things he was doing every day because he was the most passionate person who wanted to solve a clear problem in the in the world. So I think it's a unfortunate, I see that on LinkedIn where people are like, hey, I'm going to build a movement. Like, no, nobody, a real person who builds a movement would never ever say, I'm building a movement. <laughs> they, there is a problem and we need to solve this problem. And that's the person is actually going to be the one who will create a movement. So that's the red flag. If they hashtag movement in their post, run away. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, dude, like, great. Good for you. You got people to, to come alongside you. It's, you got to be, you got to fall in love with the problem. And not love that. This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. Now let's talk about your podcast. So I know you were hosting that podcast for what was that? Six years or something crazy like that? Yeah, almost daily. Wow. What was that like? You know, what was that like being a host and what role did it really play in driving this category narrative and you know, driving your position in the market? Yeah. You know, one of the things that a lot of people incorrectly do when they're trying to help build their own category, one was we talked about, they think the categories of one, not, and there's no such thing as category of one. But the other thing is that they don't own the narrative in the marketplace. They just drop in a hashtag or they drop in a name of the category and then they move on as if it's a new marketing campaign for the next month or next six months. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is that the consistency that you can have in your message can breed massive outcomes. Mm -hmm. So the consistency, we wrote a book, we call the podcast Flip My Funnel. We call the event the Flip My Funnel. We wrote the state of APM as a Flip My Funnel research report. We created the framework of Flip My Funnel. All those what was a consistency of that one message. So the podcast was nothing but really another way of continuing to be in people's minds and hearts about that, yeah, we need to challenge the status quo of marketing and sales. And as a result of that, we're going to interview the best of the best, the early adopters of this new movement. And Every time we would do that, we will have people sharing that with other people that came to the podcast that led it to become the top 50 business podcast at that time. And then it led to lots of people coming to the events because we were doing it in different cities. So it's just a constant reality that how can we be consistent about the one thing that everybody will remember you for? That's what's challenging for most entrepreneurs and more, most marketers and most category leaders is like they're moving on a different word or a different phrase every three to six months. We did that for seven straight years. One thing. <laughs> nice. I love that. Now, when it comes to ROI, how were you thinking about that in the early days? And I'm sure there was some pushback internally, right? Of, hey, 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 you know, we're not this big startup. We're not this big company. We don't have money just to splash around like this to have a separate domain and to build a different brand. That's something I hear a lot from founders when I've had these conversations is like, whoa, 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 we're trying to build one brand. Like now you want to build a second one? That's hard. So how did you think about that? And how did you have, you know, navigate those internal conversations? Yeah, you know, it's a really, really important question. And as I said, like it cost us eight bucks. The total cost of the whole thing was eight bucks. And when you look at it that way, it sounds almost like, oh, I can't be, but it, it really was. 
And all of her marketing for the first whole year was one person. I had shared about her. Her name is Nikki Nixon, who really helped build majority of what happened in the first couple of years. Phenomenal marketer out there in the marketplace. And that's it. That's all we did. We said we can't have five things to do. People don't even know Terminus. So let's not worry about writing writing Terminus blog and Terminus thing. Right? We'll get to it when we get to it. The first thing is that we need the world to know this is the right category. And if we can, if the problem is big enough, and if we do a great job at these events, we should be able to close more deals. So every time we would do an event, we would end up closing 20 to 25 deals coming out of it. So the event became, we, we literally had an event-led growth for our roadshows. Every roadshow literally would lead to 20, 25 customers winning. So really internally, there wasn't, this was the marketing. This is what we did for the whole year until we hit about 1 million in revenue. That's when we raised money and then we hired other marketing team and then we had somebody focused on Terminus marketing. But until that time, all we did was, was flip off our marketing. That's fascinating. So that was the marketing strategy in the start. Yeah, that is all we focused on. Wow, that's super interesting. Now, if we look at the market today, are there any category creators that you really admire? As you mentioned there, we all know like the OGs, right? You know, any off at Salesforce. I think Nick Meta's up there now. Everyone talks about him. Who are some of those maybe like lesser known category creators? Maybe they're not all the way there yet where they haven't really succeeded in creating this category, but you look up to them or not look up to them, but you look at what they're doing and say, hey, they're playing the game right. Yeah, I think there are a couple of really underdogs, uh, I believe, that are, that will emerge. And not everybody's doing it the same way. So that's why it's hard to see it. And until they get to that point, it will be, if they one day be, oh, yeah, they made but, but you'll know when they make it. Now you won't know when they're making it. <laughs> yeah. Right? A lot of times. So one is Mark. Mark Hills, he is the CMO of Airmeet. Mm-hmm. And he's doing really well. He just hired uh, Nick Bennett and his job and, and one of our go-to-market motions event let growth. So they literally created a job for event-led growth, and that's Nick Bennett. So he's the CMO of the company. He's pining, he's forcing people to think about how events can be done more experientially. They have a mm-hmm. platform around that, and uh, he's hiring people to really evangelize this thing. So you can see the early makings in the right way of thinking so at Airmeet. Mm-hmm. So that's a great company to follow and the team to follow. The other one, which is complete opposite of it, is a company called Sales Intel. Sales Intel is a Zoom Info competitor. So when you think about Zoom Info, you think about all the big things they've done, and it's a really amazing company. I know Henry and Brian Law was the CMO of their phenomenal thing, but then Sales Intel comes in here and say, hey, we can do that better. And so they're using a product-oriented approach to it, and as soon as they start getting traction, I think you might see them turn, turning into a really amazing competitor. We don't know, and they, they're trying to create really big events to drive their message out there. So there are a couple of early makings of it that I see, but not a whole lot. A lot of people would come in, hot flash for the first three months and then evaporate. And the other part, Brett, I think most people don't realize this, this whole idea of category creation is a founder-led initiative. Every company or a founder, at least a founder slash CEO-led initiative. It is not a marketing campaign. So the companies that fail at it in a very quickly are the ones where the marketing is the one who's saying, oh, we're going to do it. No, marketing has to facilitate it. But I was a co-founder of Terminus. Nick is the, the co- is CEO of Gainsight. Mark is the CEO of Salesforce. Brian and Dermesh were the founders of HubSpot and Inbound. So if you really look at the DNA of it, it is a founder-led thing because you're signing up for that for a decade. 
And it's a business strategy, right? That's something else that I see people get wrong a lot where they think about this, you know, kind of what you were saying there is like a marketing campaign, let's test it out and let's see what, yeah. if it works, but it really has to be the core of the company and has to become almost the identity of the company, right? Absolutely. And you have to understand that that means that you are going to lift up other competitors in your marketplace because there is no such thing as category of one. And if you really fully understand that you need competitors in order for your category to exist, other fault and challenge that most of these people have, they're like, hey, look, we are just, now there's nobody to compete with us. We are so unique that nobody knows how we do things. And that's a red flag. Like, okay, if nobody knows, you're nobody's going to buy you, right? Like, you don't <laughs> get the, the, the consequence of that. So you would rather want to be like sales and tell, hey, Zoom Info is there. There's a clear market share. We do this cheaper, better, faster. Like, that's a better position to win. You don't have to always create a category that are building a, a clear tranche into the marketplace. Honestly, that's way better than trying to create something new because that could cause, if you don't know what market you're playing in and what category, and you're not ready to sign up for a decade, you are going to be wasting a ton of efforts and it will quickly catch up. Makes a lot of sense. Now, I want to leave a little bit of time to talk about what you're building today. So I've been following you, like I said, for a long time. I subscribe to you on Substack, so I, I get the newsletters and, and I just love what you're building. But can you talk to our audience about go-to-market partners and just really what the company is going to do and what the vision is for the company? Yeah, go-to-market partners got launched last year. Most people probably know Sears Decisions or Topo. They were the mid-market analyst firm and they got swallowed by Gartner and Forrester. And since then, there hasn't really been any company that has been creating new frameworks in the marketplace, bringing the entire go-to-market process together. I still remember, Brett, when Sears Decisions dropped the demand waterfall. And it was so cool because for the first time, people could visualize and had metrics and campaigns and a bunch of companies were sprung out of it. It was phenomenal. But really, nothing has happened in the last decade almost in this space. So we are taking that torch and saying, we're going to go do that. So we're going to build a mid-market, go-to-market analyst firm, mm -hmm. very much focused on obviously go-to-market, we believe there are more than one go-to-market motions now, not just inbound and EBM, but PLG and ecosystem-led and community-led and event-led. And everyone has needs a different framework and everyone has to be put together. There are new metrics that we are now required, like NRR, the net revenue retention, was nowhere in the vocabulary or part of any of these frameworks. But now you and I and everybody listening has to figure out a way how they impact NRR. So because the motions have changed, because the metrics have changed and because the teams have changed, like RevOps wasn't a team before, Enablement wasn't a team before, CS was part of the go-to-market team. Now they're all part of go-to-market team. So when you see the metrics, the motions, and the teams change, you need a better framework, a new framework. So we have put out there a go-to-market operating system to help companies figure out how they should go to market. And are you viewing go-to-market as the next category? Is that the category that you're really trying to not create, but I'd say the category that you're trying to dominate and, and own? Absolutely. Yeah, we want to own that phrase that G go-to-market GTM has been there forever. So it's not like creating a new word around it or phrase around it. But we have this thing when we talk about at the roadshows that you don't have a marketing problem. You don't have a sales problem. You don't have a CS problem. What you have is a go-to-market problem. And there is a lot of therapy <laughs> that process when you, when you realize that, okay, Maybe I don't need to solve all this problem on my own. I need a whole team to do that. And what's my go-to-market team? So that's what we're trying to help and educate in the marketplace. Amazing. I love it. Sangam, we're up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build, where should they go? Uh, two places. You can uh, hit me up on LinkedIn, as you know. Like I try to post something there every week, so follow. I think I've hit the number of 
like connection request, but you can totally follow and hit me up and let us know what triggered for you. And the other is GTM Monday. We are every Monday, we're launching a new thing. So on my profile, you will see, or you can go to GTM Monday, substack.com, and you will see a monthly post. And Brett, maybe you can link that in the in the post as well for people. We'll be dropping a new research every single Monday. Nice. Yeah, we'll definitely link to that and link to your books as well. Thank you so much for taking the time. This has been super fun. Learned a lot from you. And I think our audience is going to really love this episode. So thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Brett. 